two years after I gave my heart to the Lord. And so um, that time, that span, I really was grateful for, given that it was able to test the authenticity of my decision to follow Jesus. Many people make decisions to follow Christ all the time. It's one thing just to make that, de that decision. It's another thing to actually pick up your cross and follow him. And so that two-year span was a, a real test to see, is this authentic? Is this decision that I made real this time? And I shared much about my Carmen concert experience. Everybody found that funny. Um, but I would encourage you, um, it could feel like in my introduction in the beginning of this message that you're coming into a conversation kind of midway. But something that will help that is if you go to hilltopboston.com and listen to part one of this message, you'll be caught up and it will make sense, okay? Um, we have just a, a, a surplus of visitors every Sunday, so it's hard to get everybody on the same page. It's a good thing, but it's hard to keep everybody uh, together and, and, and flowing together on the same topic. And so I'm extremely excited about this particular uh, uh, topic, given the biblical uh, richness of this topic, um, I was baptized at 20. Again, I shared this last Sunday with little knowledge about what the heck I was doing. <laughs> it just sounded right. It just sounded like the thing to do. And I think all my friends were doing it. So I'm like, okay, we might as well get dunked too. All right. But it's not that people weren't trying to teach me or trying to show me the biblical significance or meaning or importance behind baptism. It was just that I didn't care. <laughs> I was just like, I love Jesus, and that seemed to be enough at the time. And so I'm excited about uh, the, the richness in the scripture about this particular topic, but I'm also excited, I shared this last Sunday, that some of you will decide to submerse yourself in water again. You will decide to be baptized again, because maybe you're like me. You got baptized just because John was doing it, or, or Fred, or Welma was doing it. Who has a name like Welma? I don't know. It just came to my mind. Uh, but, but, you know, we often can kind of bend towards peer pressure, right? And it just sounds like a good idea, so let's do it. And maybe you're like me. Maybe when you were baptized, uh, you were baptized under the banner or under lack of knowledge about the biblical significance. And then also I'm excited because some of us here will be baptized for the first time. And that excites me because Jesus' commission, what was it in Matthew 28? He said, go into the earth, right? Go into the earth, make disciples, baptizing them, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm excited that in our small little way here at Hilltop, we're kind of living that out. We're, we're kind of experiencing that even in a little measure. And so I'm excited if you're here and you're going to be baptized for the first time, friend, that is awesome. That is awesome. Um, I want to start off uh, our talk with uh, uh, reading a bit of commentary, if I could. Now, we led off last Sunday with John chapter 3, the story of the conversation between Nicodemus and uh, Jesus. And so I wanted to kind of start off where I ended off last Sunday. Is that okay? All right. So I'm going to read this uh, commentary. This is by Matthew Henry. How many know who Matthew Henry is? You may not know him personally, but you are influenced by his commentary. Matthew Henry is a theologian. He's a great um, studier, a great in, uh, a theologian scholar of the Word of God. And you can find his commentary on the openbookbible.com. It's a great resource. 
And then also you can find his commentary on the blueletterbible.com. Two great resources, because let's just face it, I'm not a theologian. You know, I love the text, but I, you know, I have to hear the words of others when it comes to understanding and contextualizing and making the right um, uh, uh, conclusions of scripture and text. And so Matthew Henry has been one of those guys that just you can, you can count on his words being rich and um, opening up the word of God to you. Let's pray before we do this. Father, we need the Holy Spirit. And um, Father, we need the Holy Spirit right now. And so we ask that, Lord, you would use me. Here I am, God. I surrender to the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. I say not my words, but your words, Christ. Bring life and transform us into the image of your Son through the preaching of the gospel in Jesus' mighty name. Here's Matthew's, Matthew Henry's commentary, excuse me, on John chapter 3. He starts, our Savior spoke. Now, again, this is on John chapter 3. Our Savior spoke of the necessity and the nature of regeneration. Now, you're probably hearing that word for the first time. Maybe some of you have heard it through other teachers. But here in this place, it's probably a first time hearing that word regeneration. And simply what it means is new birth. It's, it's simply when you study Jesus' words when he says, you must be born again. That's what regeneration means in its simple, simplest form. At once, Jesus directed Nicodemus to the source of holiness of heart. Birth is the beginning of life. To be born again is to begin to live anew. As those who have lived much amiss or with little purpose. We must have a new nature, new principles, new affections, new aims. By our first birth, we were corrupt, conceived in sin. Therefore, we must be made new creatures. No stronger expression could have been chosen to signify, excuse me, a great and most remarkable change of state and character. We must be entirely different from what we were before as that which begins to be at any time is not and cannot be the same with that which was before. Now, if you caught that, God bless you. But it's rich. This new birth is from heaven, he goes on to say, and its tendency is to heaven. It's a great change made in the heart of every sinner by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it means something is done in us and for us that which or what we cannot do ourselves. Our Christ speaks to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus misunderstood, doesn't, misunderstands, doesn't he? But he acknowledges his ignorance, which in itself shows his desire to be better informed. Do you get that interaction if you were here last Sunday? Nicodemus is a bit clueless by Jesus' statements. Nicodemus starts off the conversation. First of all, he meets with Jesus in the dead of night so nobody can see what he's up to, you know, because Nicodemus is a religious leader. Not only is he a religious leader, but he's a, a governmental official. It's, it, it, and we touched upon this last uh, Sunday that it would be like kind of like a religious leader who was a U.S. or uh, a senator in our, in our, um, in our government. And so Nicodemus is a little clueless, right? How is he a little clueless? Because he, when Jesus makes the remarks about being born again, he said, what, how does an old man 
crawl back into the womb of his mother, right? And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know the word of God, and yet you can't correctly articulate to me what I'm talking about, about being born again. Jesus further explains that it's not brought by any human wisdom or power of our own to Nicodemus, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I'm talking about baptism, the exchange, the thing that happens, the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit that happens in something foolish like you and I being dunked in water. Find my place. Again, we were born in iniquity, which makes the necessity, what makes it necessary, excuse me, that our nature be changed. We are not to marvel at this, for when we consider the holiness of God, the depravity of our true condition is exposed. Hence, the desire grows within us for the new man. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit and is compared in John chapter 3 to water by Jesus. Let's turn there. John chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And again, I know that some of us may feel like we're coming into a conversation that's already started. We're going somewhere with this. I'd encourage you, go to the website. Listen to the first part of this message as it will bring further understanding of where we're at now. John chapter 3, 5 and 6. Let's read these two verses. This is Jesus' reply after Nicodemus was confused, obviously, by this thing called being born again, or this thing being born again. And this is what he says in verse 5. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. It is probable that Christ right here had just referenced the ordinance of baptism. Meaning that without the new life, which is given by the Holy Spirit and signified by baptism, none shall see the kingdom of heaven. Remember, up to this point, Jesus said, listen, there is no other way to the Father but through me. He seems to say something a little bit different to Nicodemus, doesn't he here? He talks about another way of seeing or getting into the kingdom of heaven. Although many scholars, many people, many people who study the word of God would disagree with what Jesus is referencing here. It's my belief through great study, because you have to, you've got to be clear on these things, that Jesus is doing exactly that. He is explaining something that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit, that somehow, some way, is signified through or by baptism. Foolishness. I mentioned this last week. It's kind of like communion. The, the significance of just eating bread and drinking grape juice represents the body and the blood of Christ. And you kind of look at that and you're like, really? Really? And, and, and much is the way that we think about baptism. We have this really, this, this earthly concept, if you would. This kind of worldly kind of, you know, what do I crawl back in my mother's womb? Of course we don't have that at this stage. But given if any one of us 
were posed with the same response that Jesus gave Nicodemus, I'm pretty sure I'd say the same thing. What are you talking about, Jesus? I would be just as Nicodemus was. Remember, I'm sorry, I already said that. <laughs> okay. Jesus in no way tells Nicodemus, I'm sorry, Jesus in no way tells Nicodemus what he told others. We already shared this, that he is the way to the Father and there is no other way through him. Essentially, Jesus points out to Nicodemus that the Spirit sends his influence where, when, and on whom, and to what measure and degree he pleases. This baffles Nicodemus because the work of being born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. Though it causes, though, I'm sorry, though the causes are hidden, now listen to this, the effects are plain. Let's read John chapter 3, verse 8. Remember that statement. Though the causes are often hidden, the effects are plain to see. John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus says, as he goes further into explaining to Nicodemus, he goes, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, the wind blows, and you can't see the effects the wind has on the trees as they move side to side. You can't see the effects the wind has, Nicodemus, on the leaves as they mess up your just rake lawn. You live in one of those neighborhoods. I live in a little kind of cul-de-sac area. And it's like keeping up with the Joneses. One person does something, the other goes out. One person mows their lawn, trims their hedges, the other's out there. And then all of a sudden the whole neighborhood's it's literally out of a movie, a bad movie. You can't see the effects the wind has on the leaves. You can't see, Nicodemus, the effects that the wind has on the water as it begins to ripple or on the tall blades of grass as they begin to move under its influence. The causes often are hidden, Nicodemus, but the effects are plain to see. Do you understand what I'm saying, friend? Sometimes... Often, the causes of baptism are hidden from our natural minds. We can't seem to wrap our thinking and our understanding around it. But the effects, friend, of baptism are plain to see and evident in the life of every believer. Jesus states the doctrine and the, necess the necessity... The nece Thank you. Of regeneration or being born again. But unfortunately, it seems that this still makes no sense to Nicodemus. Thus, the things of the Holy Spirit or the way the Holy Spirit moves are often foolish to the natural man's thinking or understanding. What is the point? Let's recap a little bit last Sunday, being brief if we can. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Is everyone okay? Right, I got about ten of you. Hopefully, by the end of the service, we'll have all of you. I want you to write that down in your notes. Often, the causes are hidden, but the effects are plain to see. You can write that 
on your gravestone if you want. You can take that, I should say, unto the grave. Most of the time, the things are the ways of which the Holy Spirit moves and does things. And in this case, baptism. He does them in a way that is often uh, hidden from our understanding, if you would. It's kind of like, I don't get that. But yet, the effects of what the Holy Spirit does through the causes are plain to see. Meaning, the death and the new life of baptism. Let's recap. We discussed last Sunday, when we were baptized, we joined with Christ in His death. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 5. Are you there? Okay. Paul essentially tells these Roman people that we don't continue to live in sin because of the wonderful grace of God. Now Paul, we talked about this also, was addressing not only lawless believers, but people who were still, excuse me, trying to find favor or please God by obeying the law of Moses, the Torah. And Paul is simply, I think in this case, comforting them and saying, listen, listen, you no longer have to seek to please God by following the letter of the law religiously. There's still a moral code. You shouldn't just give yourself to sin because grace abounds, because the wonderful gift of God's grace. But we don't do these things. We don't live in some way anymore under the old covenant, trying to please God again through obeying strictly the law, the Torah, the law of the words of Moses, the written law of Moses. And so, and if you... You can further understand this by seeing Romans chapter 7, right? Because in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, you are no longer bound to the law. Essentially, friend, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7 is a complete thought, if you would. It's a sermon (laughs) given to these people. And we're going to get into that. I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves. Myself, excuse me. But again, Paul comforts these people and says, listen, there's still a moral code. Yeah, we don't live to the letter of the law in order to try to please God. But there's still morality. There's still righteousness. There's still right living before God. And grace makes it even more possible to achieve this. Two, why and what have we died to? Well, we've died to the power of what? Sin in death, right? Now I want you to remember that. Touched upon that last Sunday again. We joined with Christ. In other words, we were fused. We were glued. We were linked. We were united with Christ in baptism. And what did we join Him in? We joined Him in His death. What did we die to? The power of sin and death. Romans chapter 6 again. Let's read it just in case. Let's read five verses in Romans chapter 6. Are you there? Are you following? Some of you look very confused. Whew, just shake it off. Sometimes I have to just, Lord, I cast a spirit of dumbness off my mind. Just yeah, you Because I can go there. I can totally get dumb in like two seconds. You could totally tell. Anyway, said a little humor. Christian joke's gone wild. Verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 
Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Does that make sense to you, the listener? Okay, two of you. Does that make sense? Let's read again, just in case you were checking your Facebook status. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Duh. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Verse 4, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Someone say, new lives. You gotta die, say this. You gotta die that you might live. Verse 5 Since we have been united again, here Paul is kind of being redundant here. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also will be raised to new life. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am no longer. Go ahead, come on, little interaction with one another. I am no longer. According to the words of Paul in Romans, a slave to sin. Come on, somebody. It's good. Now, those words ring contrary, don't they? Because we're like, what? I certainly feel like that old man is still alive sometimes. He come out from the dead, you know. I just got to bury him, but I got to go get it. But just because they're contrary doesn't mean that they're not true. So we have died to the power of sin and death. And this is peculiar. This is peculiar that Paul would say this because doesn't in Romans chapter 7 he talk about doing the things of which he doesn't want to do and not doing the things of which he knows he should do. How he's the chief among all sinners. Are you kidding, Paul? Are you crazy? What are you talking about? Understand, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7 as a complete sermon, as a complete thought that Paul gives. Amen? Is everybody all right? Four. I'm sorry. Yes, four. Point number four, recapping last Sunday. We died. Yes, our old nature, unfortunately, that we inherited from Adam. We died to when we were baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's turn just one page over. And if you're on your iPad, just flip it. Just, you know, you're cool. Go ahead. But there's something about this page. Something about that page. Romans chapter 5. Again, remember I said that we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 as a complete sermon, okay, to get to our main point. And Paul ultimately does the same thing, okay? Let's read John chapter 5. I'm sorry, John chapter 5. No, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, 
Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where now, where we now stand, excuse me, and we are confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing in God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that our help, I'm sorry, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope we will not, and, th- and this hope, excuse me, will not lead us to disappointment. Let's just stop right there, and let's, let's recap a little bit for the sake of time uh, and summarize a little bit what Paul discusses in Romans chapter 5 in these 11 verses. Essentially, it goes like this. Romans chapter 5, verse, uh, uh, first of all, is titled, Faith Brings Joy. In verse 1 of Romans chapter 5, Paul says we've been made right in God's sight by what? If you, if you, if, man, if you heard it, say it. We've been made right with God, I mean, in God's sight by what? Faith. faith. Okay. By faith. Remember, Paul was primarily addressing people who were trying to be, again, right with God through closely observing and obediently, rigorously trying to fulfill or find favor with God through obeying the law. Romans chapter 2, Paul drives this truth a little more home for us. He goes on to talk about the undeserved privileges we now have because because of what Christ has done. And that we can be confident and joyful looking forward to sharing God's glory. Again, up until this point, these people believe that the privileges they had experienced came from obeying the law of God closely. This is important to remember, friends. Because the whole scope of Christianity is changing because of what Christ had done. People are saying, no, we have to follow this letter. We have to follow this Old Testament. And Paul simply here is redefining things and helping these people come to the full understanding of the new covenant. Romans 5, 3, 4, excuse me for the redundancy here, but we're going to go into it. These people believed that their problems or their trials were brought on by God because of their sin. You see that all throughout the Old Testament and people who struggled in the New Testament as the, if you would, the new covenant was being introduced. Essentially, people believed that their trials came simply from disobeying God and not following rigorously or strictly to the code, the law of Moses, the Torah. Now Paul is telling them to rejoice. You get that? Paul is now telling them to rejoice when trials come. (laughs) A whole redefining, a whole reprogramming, a whole rewiring of people is going on right now. They're like, what? Wait a second. This is weird. What are you talking about? Paul is changing things because of what? It's not simply, Paul, he's changing things. He's bringing and introducing the new covenant because of Christ. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer to bind ourselves to the law, the Torah. There's still a moral code, though. That's the balance. Sometimes you often think that the grace of God is just there as a band-aid when it's really 
the power of God to help us overcome and live victorious. Okay, two of you. I got two of you. Okay, that's great. I'll take it. Woo! A lot of information. A lot of information, right? A little disclosure. When I use the word godly or godliness, I mean to use it in the way Paul uses it when he wants to distill the essence of Christian life into one brief paragraph. He tells us that God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. And then goes on to say that we should live in a way of being self-controlled. I'm I'm butchering this. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. We, as we wait the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's fine in Titus 2, 11 through 13. Or when Paul thinks of his own job description as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He describes it as being called to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And that is in Titus 1.1. I only put that disclosure in because people get weird. They're like, what do you mean godliness? Are you godlike? You know? No, I do not have a Messiah complex. Uh, I don't think that we're going to be godlike, but there has to be some kind of bent in our hearts that desires godliness, that desires to bear the image of Jesus. Romans 5, 5, Paul states, this hope will not lead to disappointment. This hope will not lead to disappointment. Why does he say that? What disappointment is Paul talking about? Well, these people, again, were very disappointed. They were very depressed. Why? Because the law never worked. It never worked. It was like a couple good days. A couple good days. It doesn't work. And so Paul, again, redefining. In other words, Paul says that their confident hope of salvation should no longer come from binding themselves to the law to attain God's approval. Again, Romans chapter 7. But that they should place their hope confidently in salvation and nothing less than the wonderful gift of God's grace He provided through His Son, Jesus, on the cross. Come on! This stuff rocks me. Am I just like a Bible nerd? What's going on? I just get... Totally pumped when we can actually look at the scripture and see it in its true meaning and form. So powerful. Through the cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, truly this is the hope that won't disappoint, right? It will give them the confident hope of eternal life. Paul continues to talk about these truths in verse 11 of uh, chapter 5 of the book of Romans. In other words, you are no longer to place your hope in what will ultimately disappoint you at the end of the day anymore. Why? Because, friend, you and I, these people in Scripture, we are attracted to sin. The law will not work because it's like a bug going to the light. The light. It shocks you and you're dead. It's kind of like the sin. Ooh. Ooh. And it shocks you. God 
had to do something different because he knew we were weak. <laughs> he knew we would be attracted to that which would ultimately kill us, defeat us, and conquer us. So what we couldn't do, Christ did. And now we join Him. <laughs> now we take up our cross and follow Him. See, we always look at that portion of Scripture where Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Friend, He is talking about death. He is saying, listen, you're, you're, yeah, 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 I did something you couldn't do. You're right, you're right, I did. That's pretty cool, right? But now you're going to join me in this. And there's, there's a reason for this. Let's look to Romans chapter 5. A lot of Scripture, right? We're already there. Let's go to verse 12. A lot of Scripture, I know. But listen, this is probably more Scripture than you looked into even this week. So it's a good thing. We're at church. We should read a lot of Scripture. Oh, snap! He said it. I'm just joking, guys. There is now no condemnation in those who... Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And here is where I'll conclude. Here is the reason why we have Romans chapter 6, where Paul says we are to join Christ, or we join Christ in his death through baptism. This is why. Because it has to do with what we inherited. It has to do with what we inherited throughout the ages. Here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul seems to segue, segue into a different uh, a talk where he gives the contrast between Adam and Christ. Let's read. Verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned before the law was given. But it was, turn the page, not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from time, from the time, excuse me, of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ. Who was not who had who was yet to come? Excuse me, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Verse 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness for all who received it will live in triumph over sin 
all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ, act. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinner. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. We inherited something from this fallen man, this man of sin that Paul referenced, Adam. We all know the story, right? And we were lumped in. We were born in sin. We were lumped in to this, this fallen, sinful, death-ridden culture and society, if you would. But yet, through the obedience and act of Christ, we are now free from sin and death. We inherited from Adam sin and death, right? These two things we were given to by Adam. Thank you, Adam. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us, as he follows up this contrast he gives us through Romans chapter 5, he tells us that the two things that Christ conquered was sin and death. The one thing, or the two things I should say, that we inherited from Adam, Jesus has conquered. And in the same way, now joined to Christ through baptism, we also die. We also die. We die to sin. But friend, it's a good thing. We are also raised to new life with Christ. The symbolic nature, if you would, of baptism represents that right before our eyes, doesn't it? You're here. You go under. You're dead. You come up. You're raised to new life. Baptism is an awesome, powerful expression, act, if you would, of this exchange that takes place through the work of the Holy Spirit. A very mysterious work, yes, but nevertheless, though the causes be hidden, the effects are plain to see. Friend, Baptism is powerful. And there has to be something, just like circumcision in the Old Testament, was kind of like a cutting away of that old man, if you would, through a physical procedure. Now, baptism, if you would, is a cutting away of that old man. But it's not a physical procedure, as Paul says in Galatians. It's what? It's a spiritual one. It's a spiritual procedure. And that is what takes place when you are dunked. It's a serious thing. Just as communion is. Does this make sense? Friend, I would encourage you, listen, if you were baptized at a young age and 
like Bethany, like me, you really didn't get it. You just, you didn't, you, you didn't really even understand. You didn't even really care to understand. It just seemed like the right thing to do. I want to encourage you. Get baptized again. Now fully understanding the rich biblical significance of baptism, I'd encourage you, get submersed in water. Knowledge is powerful, friend. It almost makes the act of baptism that much more powerful in our lives, doesn't it? When we see the full scope, if you would, of this significant thing we call baptism. Very foolish act, and it's probably going to be a little weird. It's going to be my first actually doing and in, 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 in actually submersing people. But, but, but we know now that there's a reason we are to join Christ. We are to pick up our cross and follow Him unto His death that we might be raised to new life. See, ultimately, friend, God wants us to be born again. And He's made the means of that significant thing happen through baptism. Just gathering my thoughts. I want to do this real quick. This is something different than um, what we've done in the past, but I want to take about five or ten minutes, and I want to clarify any questions that any of you may have right now, right now in this setting. I'm not saying that there's going to be any, and there doesn't have to be any, but for the sake of clarity, for the sake of understanding, um, if any of you have any questions that hopefully by the grace of God I can answer at the spur of the moment, um, I'd like to field those right now and kind of clear up anything that might be clear. Does anybody have any questions as awkward as this can be? Anybody? Stevie. Yeah. No, of course not. I'll, I'll answer it the way that Paul answered it in Romans chapter 6, right? Um, the, the awesome thing about Romans chapter 6 verse 1 is again, when you understand it in light that Paul wasn't just addressing um, lawless people or people who just wanted to sin so that God could show his wonderful grace, as Paul said, right? Um, when you understand it like that, you can understand the wrestle, but you can also see the way that Paul comforted these people uh, by saying, listen, there's still a moral code. There's still, there's still righteous living, if you would, godliness, if you would, to be lived out, to be flushed out, you know? And we see it today in churches, man. There's just... There's just this twisting of that particular verse where people are just like, yeah, we, we got, we're under grace. When, when grace simply empowers us. Actually, grace demands more of us. The work of what Jesus Christ did demands more of the believer. Just like, just like when, when Paul said we're joined with Christ. You know, it's not a, you know, most of us, hopefully not in this room, but most of us Christians, I'll speak, I'll speak broadly, and I've been there. I've been there. We, we treat salvation as just like a get-out-of-hell free card. <laughs> if we, there's things that grace demands of the believer. And one thing that Paul says it demands is our death. 
<laughs> and that's awesome. I love it. Now, listen, you're not gonna, I'm not going to hold you underwater. I'm not going to kill you, okay? This, this is a spiritual death. I want to emphasize that. I'm going to be clear. You'd be amazed on how, how many things I have to clarify. But does that answer the question? So no, of course not. We are not allowed to live lawless, unrighteous lives. There is nothing in Scripture that, that explicitly um, that, uh, stands by that notion or that way of thought. Don't be foolish, Paul said. Don't be fooled. Grace demands more because of what Christ did. Any other questions? Steve, thank you. Come on. Any questions? Well, I'm not going to take too long. Anybody? 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 Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, if I get you right, if I get you right, it is very symbolic, okay? The act of baptism is, it symbolizes just exactly what you preface in the first part of your question, right? But yet, what we often don't see, I think, according to some of these scripture, is actually the work of the Holy Spirit that takes place. You know, if we're just given to the thought that we get dunked, and it's just this symbolic sign of being regenerated. It, it kind of loses its power. I mean, listen, there's many Christians who are baptized. There's many Christians who um, serve the Lord, follow Jesus. But yet, their effects, as I touched upon in the beginning part of my uh, talk, their heart, they're, not, they're not evident. They're not evident. And what I mean by that is the life of which these Christians live do not scream or speak of Jesus, okay? And so there has to be more than just a symbolic nature behind baptism. Like everything God does, like communion, um, everything, there is always um, an importance to understand the spiritual work of the Holy Spirit behind the symbolic act of baptism. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we do it because we love Jesus. It tells us and exhorts us in Scripture to do it. But yet, behind the scenes, there's a wind that's blowing. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know, you know, we, the, the causes or we can feel the wind, but we can't see it. All right? Nicodemus himself, remember, he was a man who was very, um, I don't know, how do I explain this? He was educated. In the law, in the Old Testament, he knew scripture. He knew scripture. He probably could have, you know, tagged him or kind of sparred and debated with Jesus on many points. But what Jesus tried to get Nicodemus out of was his mind and his mental ascent towards scripture. He tried to, he's, he's, he's like, listen, there's a lot more behind just observing me. We touched upon this last Sunday. There's a lot more than just saying, I'm great because of the miracles and the signs and wonders I do. You must be born again, water and spirit. So if you go ahead and you read John chapter 3, you'll see that Jesus very plainly could have at any time explained himself very practically. He could have explained what this work was all about. He's Jesus. 
Um, but he chooses not to, and he chooses to do it, if you read John 2, chapter 3, in a very mysterious way. Why? To get Nicodemus out of here. And see, sometimes we can look at this symbolic act of baptism as just like a mere mental assent. It's just like, yeah, let's do it. Sweet. Kind of like I did at age 20. Yeah, Johnny's doing it. Let's do it. Sweet. And often we totally bypass and miss the work of the Holy Spirit in baptism. Anybody else? Yeah, that's an interesting question, right? Because in light of what he said to um, uh, Nicodemus, you kind of almost get that feel. But I think I look at it like this. Nicodemus, again, was a man who understood the Old Testament. He, he studied, like many people did, who held Jesus to an account, Pharisees, religious people. And so, again, you see this thing where Jesus, again, I touched upon this earlier, where he usually would say, listen, there is no way to the Father but through me. That's, that's usually the way he would talk about salvation. But here, he says something different. And I think it's given, and you've you got you to study it more, but I think it's given to the fact that Nicodemus is a man who is observed through other Jewish people as a religious leader, as a religious pillar of the community. Okay, And so there's obviously something in even this kind of religion uh, or this profession of knowing God that Nicodemus is missing here, like all Pharisees did at his time. There was this great education and intellect towards the law and towards the Old Testament, but there was something missing in their spirits. There was some kind of connection that they were missing. And Jesus often talked to religious people in this kind of um, phraseology. Is that a word? I think it's... I totally think it's a word. I think I heard John Piper. Phraseology, phraseology, I don't know. But anyways, Jesus would, he would deal with the religious people like this often. And so I think that's why he, Jesus uses those words. Because with the, with the um, prostitute, with the sinner, he wouldn't say stuff like that. He wouldn't, uh, I mean, these are people that have walked with God for a long time. And now Jesus is introduced and they're like, you can't even see me in the Old Testament? You totally, you can see everything else, but you can't see that God, my Father, was going to send me to redeem you? And so, sure, 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 yeah. Does that make sense? But it is weird. I understand. It is very weird. Yeah, <laughs> but you're just like, oh, my goodness, what, what do you mean, Jesus? But I think this is cool because it really gives those who have been walking with the Lord a long time a new understanding of baptism, you know, Oftentimes, Nicodemus was that person. He was walking with God for a long time. He was educated. He knew the Old Testament, right? And so uh, we can often put ourselves in Nicodemus' shoes, those who have been walking for a long time and maybe missed the significant work of the Holy Spirit in baptism. Anybody else? One more. Two more. Okay. Is everybody all right? Is everybody okay? Okay. I know. Some of us are uncomfortable. I know. The Pats win, lose. What, did that ha what happened? Tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> All right, great. I can watch the game. Christian, and then you, and then we'll close. Make it, please. Make it my level, not your level. <laughs>
I didn't, uh, unfortunately, but I'm going to again. It's not that I was, wasn't privy or knowledgeable about baptism, given now being a pastor, but then I had no interested, interest in it. I, 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 there was just more pressing issues in, in my life that I was more interested. I loved Jesus, but I didn't really like I was like getting dunked in water. I mean, what? That's crazy. That's stupid. <laughs> Who wants to do that? But now understanding and actually studying um, the work of the Holy Spirit in baptism, I'm totally excited. And yes, I will look for somebody to dunk me again. One, two more. Her first. Does that answer your question? Was there another second part of the question? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Is everybody all right? You guys need to split up. I'm just joking. Um, just in listening and hearing this topic of uh, baptism, you outlined a lot of the components of baptism. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think the one con is explicitly explained through Paul, where he says, listen, the symbolic act of baptism is actually you joining Christ in his death. So if we take that scripture literal, because I know some of us probably are not literalist in our overview of scripture, but if we take that literal, we know that we're missing out in something that is very important for every believer. And so if we take it literal, we won't join Christ in his death through baptism. I mean, essentially, it's weird, but it is the Bible. And so that would be one of the cons. We want to have that experience. Now having the knowledge, we want to be submersed so that we can join Christ. That symbolic act, that symbolic act, we can actually join Christ in his death. Okay, we're going to take a lot more, I see. Listen, if you have to go, you can feel free to go. But if you want to stay, we'll probably give about five or ten more minutes to it. Hold on. I have John. You had one? Okay, no John. Matthew? Phraseology is a word. Phraseology is a word. I, uh, John Piper actually used it, and so uh, John Piper is my man, and so I stand by it. Thank you. Thank you for Googling it. You, and then you, and then we're done. Michelle. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is, there's two differences here. We're talking about salvation and we're talking about baptism. So really, what does it take to, um, to be saved? It's to what? Acknowledge Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, right? That he is divine, he is the Son of God. And so that's salvation. This is baptism. Again, I think that we have to look at the way that Jesus addressed Nicodemus totally different than the way John addresses the Roman people. That simply this is just like a precursor or stage two of that, that decision. Now being solidified through baptism, saying, yes, we are picking up our cross. We are following you to your death. We are joined. We are glued. We are locked, Jesus, in with you. And we're going to die with you. And so, uh, and there were to be raised to new life. And so I think that, um, again, there's like two different classes, I guess, of people that Jesus addressed compared to what Paul is talking about. Because Paul no, doesn't say 
explicitly that in Romans chapter 6 that, you know, if you don't do this, you are not going to see the kingdom of God. Um, but he exhorts us to do it. Uh, and then he gives us and lays us out for us the significance of what it means when we do it. So again, it's, it's really, it, it gets fishy when Jesus talks to Nicodemus.